Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we chatted about Utopia, learned about the genesis of the Midwest, and spoke about some fine vandalism. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM, only on the Lumpen Week in Review for December 4th, 2020. Mario Smith spoke to graffiti legend Static about his career in bombing and tagging and his emergence as one of the premier muralists in the city. Static talked about how an early arrest put him on a path to fine art. Only on news from the service entrance, every Thursday at 2 p.m. So you've seen a lot of murals in Chicago. Chicago is a city with a lot of public art, a lot of great public art from a lot of really world-famous artists have come to this town and done work. One of them is on the phone with me. Uh, Static has been in this game a long time, and he has put up work on every side of this great city and uh, his latest work has just been outstanding and I felt like it was time that folks got to hear who the man was because you don't see him do the work all the time and sometimes you do depending you might ride past and not know that that's him Rockman Static is on news from the service centers the radio show hey brother what's hey, going hey, on hey you with you I'm good how you doing man look you know I've been, this is this is long overdue. I've been wanting to have a chance to talk to you in this form for a long time. You and I have been friends for a minute. Oh yeah. Um, and to see your your evolution in this craft has been amazing. I, I know that um, the obvious answer is you started as as a graph writer, but when did you get more interested in creating murals? And, and knock out a couple of these places that you've got stuff set up that people may ride past and not know that that's you. Okay. Um, when I started doing murals, um, keep in mind, before I started doing graffiti or graph, I was always into like uh, art, specific commercial art, yes. comic books, video games, things yes. of that nature. Yes. Um, I'm from the, from, the, from the last generation of uh, kids that um, transitioned from playing on the streets to playing video games as a means of uh, <laughs> our parents protecting us right there. Right. From 1990, Chicago, and what was going on back then, and being a child during that era of Chicago, there's a whole different city back then, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like um, prior to me doing graffiti, I was uh, always into comic book art. Um, the thing that got me into painting murals and put me on a mission, believe it or not, was an arrest that I had that happened back in... Um, on Christmas Eve of 1997, believe it or not. I think I remember that. Christmas Eve of 1997. As a matter of fact, you remember, you know of a number of the people that caught the same case with me. I uh, was... The, home, the homeboy I, Pugs Adams yes. did a song about this. <laughs> yes, he did. Pugs I know Adams exactly what you're talking about. about. That's right. The, the, the dude Max Sansing was with me. Um, <laughs> he, he didn't go to jail because he was a year too young. Right. Right. My homeboy, Artie McFly. Um, yes. Joker. Yes, Joker. Up, um, homeboy, it was basically almost a whole posse of us. Yeah. Got hooked up, but yeah. um, what came of that case though was um you know I spent a night in jail, um you know thinking like yo if I'm gonna keep doing this you know it, it gotta be more if I'm gonna keep doing it and I'm gonna go down for it, it ain't gonna be for shit again yeah like, ever like ever yeah. and that was back um in the 90s so um I got home I got my ass beat got grounded my pimp my my fam, my, pimp, my mom was not having that shit yeah like um she she wanted me to stop painting walls all that but like. From all those consequences, maybe want to go harder, even as a shorty. So, um, so yeah, that, that was a turning point. That was, that was a turning point, like that, that 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 legal situation. Believe it or not, that legal situation still follows me to this day. Oh wow! So, yeah, it still oh, follows wow. me to this day because because um 
that happened right when they turned graffiti into a felony. Yeah. Um, for adults, and that just turned to adult that year. It, it, it was it was a wild ass junior in high school. Let's just say that. I remember. I remember because uh, Lit X was it was getting toward the end then, and I remember when that happened because everybody was we were all in Wicker Park. Yeah. And everybody was like, whoa, wait a minute. He went and he went and he went. Wait a minute. And he went. It was like 10 of y'all. Hey, how that happened crazy. also? That's crazy. Is funny. We was on our way to Humble Quest MC Battle. Oh, wow. Humble Quest. It was a, it was a Humble Quest. Oh, wow. MC Battle. <laughs> it's 1997. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We was on our way to Humble Quest MC Battle. And Pugs, one of the dudes was just supposed to be MCing, but he couldn't make it that night. That's, that's what went down. Wow. Yeah, all for that hip-hop, right? Right, always. Yeah. Always, always. Talk to me about some of the murals that you've got uh, around town now. Oh, and before you do that, actually, um, the the idea that you kind of made the transition because of that incident from from doing throw-ups, really nice throw-ups, though, not just throw-ups. They were very yeah. nice. But from <laughs> doing street art to, to, to transforming into a muralist, and, and you started working with young people and all that, the 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 change you doing that how how did that come about but i mean i i, I realized that the the catalyst was the the night in jail but how did you get to to the part where you're at now where you're doing like major pieces in chicago um to answer your question um that happened um as part of uh, my personal evolution as an artist understanding what the scope of the game was as far as a uh, being a visual artist um, understanding like what 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 um, you know what kind of ripple effect that that, that, that I could put into that scene as from from um, a Chicago perspective mm -hmm. to it be to it being global. So um, a, a number of things created that situation. A lot of it came during a time when um I went to art school. I went to the American Academy of Art. Um, graduated in two thousand five with a BFA in multimedia web design. Within that time, um. I dedicated those those years to studying just art, like just visual art and understanding visual art, visual culture, visual media, all that, right? Um, from 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 beginning to end. So then at time, um, I've read entire art history books, wrote thesis papers on it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I understand how art evolved through humanity from like you know the the, the very beginnings of people communicating to where we're at now. Um, so that that kind of gave me perspective as far as um, you know the 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 how vast the 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 the, the game is for being a visual artist right there. So yeah. at that point, it was a very humbling experience understanding that there have been many of individuals that come before me that will never be known that contributed to that to to the entire zeitgeist of visual art, and there will be individuals that come after me. You know, that's going to make the same difference. I, I'm just playing my part for this period of time right there. Yeah. Right. Um, that's one perspective. The other perspective is during that time, um, I joined a Chicago Public Art Group. That is a um, Chicago Public Art Group. Originally started off as Afro Cobra, um, at the Afro Cobra. Yes, movie, um, where the brothers are painting the Regal Theater. Right. 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 So, like, um, basically, I began to connect with like actual elder mural artists. Right. Um, like, I worked with the, with the brother Sidha Weber. Um, Weber Sidha Weber, brother Jazz and Alley. Absolutely. He's a interesting dude. Um, to work with. On, on, on a lot of levels, it, it was it was a wild time working with that dude. Imagine doing art with your grandfather, and your grandfather being who he is, having the worldview that he has, 
but you make an art with him right there. Yeah. So, so, so like, he, he challenged me on, my, on uh, having an overall social motive for doing public art and the power behind that at, at a young age. So, like, so he called me out on doing something deeper, just painting a static burner. You know what I'm saying? Something that, mm -hmm. that, that the community and a neighborhood can embrace as a landmark. And that's what it basically boils down to. It, it becomes the art and profession of making landmarks, right? So, for instance, the, the how synonymous is a Statue of Liberty with New York City. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? How synonymous is 79th Street, um, 79th Stone is the Regal Theater mural. How synonymous, you know, is the Puerto Rican flag, right, over Division right there. Yeah. It's like the, the power and impact of public art to where you're doing something not only timeless, but the people that live with it embrace it. You know, and becomes a part of the of the cultural identity of that neighborhood. Do you think that in this city, you you said cultural identity of a neighborhood? We 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 got seventy seven neighborhoods in Chicago, right? Yes. Um, which I am sure, at one time in your life or another, they've got a static piece somewhere in right, there. Right, right. But we've got seventy seven neighborhoods in the city. Does the city of Chicago do enough for people who are muralists, et cetera, to 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 ask? Like, hey, can, is, is, is this something you'd be interested in doing? I know they're commission pieces. We used to talk all the time to design about being commissioned by the city or by a city to come and do a piece in their town. But a, 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 as an artist, do you find that the, the city will, will try to lean on you and say, hey, look, do this, uh, do that for us. We need you to do this and do that, even though you ha you ha you're having your legal issues with them? Right. Um. Matt, the city of Chicago has gotten better since the Daly administration. Mm -hmm. um, Daly Jr. had like a vendetta for graffiti writers. Graffiti writers, and um, he was ignorant as hell toward art, right? Um, I've met him a number of times. Like, I came up in the Gallery 37 program that his wife started. Oh, right I know. There, I was there. Right? So you remember that, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So, so like, um, the Daly administration had a thing against, um, against graffiti writers to where they use it as a symbol of reform. If, if you will, and the wild thing about it is a lot of the they were, I'm sorry, a lot of the stuff they were arresting um, graffiti writers over, a lot of those buildings aren't even here anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. Chicago has changed since then. It's not the same city as it was in, in, in the 90s right there, which gives you some perspective on a lot of it right there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like in other words, like, so they were using, uh, in other words, during that time, the Daily Administration created, like, the, the Anti-Graffiti task, task Force, right, So uh, with, with the police department. So they actually allocated you know, um, a lot of tax dollars to arresting nonviolent criminals during a time in Chicago where the city was at war, man. You yeah. know, like during the nineties, during the nineties, right there, like when the projects are still up. So they was more worried about the appearance of, of, of the downtown areas and a few areas around the city, right? Opposed to like dealing with the real issue, and they were going on a way to eliminate graffiti, right, and regulate um, graffiti mural painting, whatever you want to call it, on a lot of structures and buildings. They aren't even here anymore. It's just some wild perspective on that. Like so, so in other words, that that that, that angle, I understand. I understand part of the motive for it, but long term, it was a waste of money. Like right. going all the way to to, to arrest non-violent offenders, but vandalizing buildings that now don't even exist anymore. Twenty years later, um, as a Rahm Emanuel and Lightfoot under their under their regime, it's gotten better. Like um, under Rahm Emanuel's re regime, um, he wasn't as militant as Daly was. As far as like going out his way to fund police officers more money to arrest graffiti writers right there, mm -hmm. both those mirrors have their own issues right there. But um, but yeah, like per, like yeah, but it's gotten better. It's gotten better. Let's just say that. Like it's gotten more. 
it's gotten better to a point of where I'm not saying it's the best, right? But it's, 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 it's something they're doing is way more. Yeah, <laughs> what's happening back in the nineties. You've so. been doing you've been doing a lot of pieces of famous uh, Chicagoans who may not be known to most of the city, but they are known to people in the city. Yeah, uh, the the folks they need to know. And and you just put a call out for people if they were interested in having their their faces immortalized. Is, is that your wheelhouse? Is that where you really get down with being able to communicate with folks through different people in the city by, by having people that they recognize to say, look, this is a person in your in your midst that is walking around and you should know who they are and they're important and they're up on this wall for a reason. How, 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 do, how, do, you, how do you articulate what you're doing right now in this current phase of the, the world of static? Man, um, that came to be after painting too many memorials of um, dead celebrities that I didn't know. Mm. And just the fact that I'm painting a dead person like that. After a while, like as a, as a, as an artist and as a portrait artist, like the people that I paint in my subjects, like it, it becomes an intimate situation, man. So, so in other words, I got to sit and stare at a person for five, six, 10, 20 hours mm -hmm. straight. Right. So it's one thing to do that with a person you respect and admire right there. But then it's a different level of energy if the person tragically died. Yeah. Like doing yeah. that one too many times, it kind of it, it hits you a different way. from I-94 spoke to Phil Chrisman about conceptions of the Midwest. Chrisman's new book, Midwest Futures, delves into questions of race, identity, and commerce in a changing America that has put what once was flyover country front and center. I-94, Lumpen's Books and Literature show, airs every Thursday and Sunday at 11 a.m. Today we are joined by the author Phil Chrisman. He's got a new book out from Belt Publishing right here in Chicago. It's called Midwest Futures. He joins us through the miracle of technology because our studios are closed. Phil, welcome to the show this morning. 
Hey guys, thanks for having me. Thanks for calling in from Michigan for us. So Phil, let's let's start off with some general stuff. This is a, a new book out. It's a nonfiction book, kind of a work of philosophy from Belt. What made you want to focus on an area of the country that I think you say in your book yourself is frankly almost always thought of as second rate, flyover country, uh, the heartland of America, but but dismissed so much. What made you want to write about it in a more thoughtful way? Yeah, well, um, you know, I talk about this in the book a little bit, but uh, part of it, um, you know, some of it had been in the back of my mind for, for longer than this, but a, a lot of the real impetus came from uh, when my wife and I uh, moved to Michigan, which uh, Michigan is where I had grown up, uh, but my wife is from Texas. Um, so we moved here in like 2013. And she would ask me for she would ask me questions that would sound very reasonable if you swapped out the word uh, uh, Southern or Western for Midwestern, but with the word Midwestern in them sounded absurd. So she would, for example, ask me, uh, what do Midwesterners eat? What is Midwestern cooking? <laughs> like you, you, you say, you know, Southwestern cooking, people are like, oh, yeah, 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 I know what that is. Uh, oh, Southern food, I know what that is. There's whole magazines about Southern food. But you say Midwestern thing, and like maybe you get a couple of jokes about uh, like casseroles or yeah, hot, hot dish. dish. <laughs> and that's it. I could not I could not answer those types of questions about my own region. And I thought that the I thought that that was interesting. It seemed like that told me that the concept Midwestern must be doing a, a different kind of work than the concepts. You, you know, least southern about words. a Coney dog, right? Yeah, I, of Come course on. I told her I'm not a barbarian, you know. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Phil, I was actually talking to a, a friend of mine about the book, and she was saying recently Minnesota wanted to be um, removed from the Midwest conversation and be known as the North. Did you hear about this at all? Uh, no, I hadn't, although, like, if you look at the... Uh, I, I'm going to get the terminology wrong because, you know, I did all this research like 18 months ago. But if you look at the Wikipedia for the Midwest, it it, it was it, they use the Census Bureau's definition of the Midwestern states. And that until like 1984, it, it's it was like north, uh, north something region. Oh, like, okay. Minnesota. Yeah. Was. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. This is an old, old tension. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't think of Minnesota at all, so I'd be perfectly happy to have it out of the Midwest. <laughs> you know, no, you know, man, I, I, love, I, I love Minnesota. Uh, shout out to my Minnesota readers. Uh, the but, Twins have a very nice park. The Twins do have a nice park, and, you know, you know, there's there's a, oh, some okay things. I've got some friends there, but, you know, they're they're the north. I can see that. I can see them freezing out there. So, But, you know, the Midwest, as, as you mentioned in your book, it what's strange about it is that I think some of the places that we do think of as, quote, the Midwest, and we're sitting in one right now. We're in Illinois, obviously. Mm -hmm. But then there's other places that are part of the Midwest that I actually don't ever think of as the Midwest. You know, I guess Indiana is, but I always, in a weird way, think of that as kind of a state from the South that got, you know, plopped up next to us somehow, mistakenly. <laughs> uh, Missouri, you know, again, I, I think of that as sort of a, a Southern state as well. Michigan is Midwestern, but I don't think of it that way, nor Wisconsin, because I think of it more as in the North. Huh. And I guess what I'm getting at is this entire idea of the Midwest, which is not really that far West. Um, I guess it is sort of mm -hmm. middle. Uh, is is an artificial construct. Can you talk about why this concept came into being in the first place and why it's important at all? Yeah, I mean, 
I'll take the second. Uh, I'll take the second question first, and then work back to the to the first one. I mean, I think it's an important con. I think it's an important concept because, like, on the one hand, as you said earlier, um, there there is a there is a tradition of of sort of like not taking it seriously or, or treating it as kind of a joke or you know jokes about flyover country, whatever, and at the same time like the concept emerges constantly uh, over over history in national conversations about all kinds of things. Like um, when, I was read when I was reading for the book and working on the essay that the book developed from and then working on the book, I mean, we were still in the middle of like, how do Democrats uh, win back the Midwest, for example, you know, that conversation. Um, and uh, so, so, it keeps coming up. Any conversation that gets like pulled into service to talk about uh, as a, as a proxy for all sorts of political issues. I mean, at some point you've 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 got to take a look at it. Um, and then as as for the history of the, the the history of the word turned out to be really fascinating. Um, and my book kind of stands on the shoulders of of, of giants here, like people of people of historians uh, and geographers and other people have really looked into this. The first time that it's used in print is in the 19th century. And they're talking about Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> like Tennessee was Midwestern at one point, which just shows you like what, what a conceptual, like, uh, you know, weird monster this, this concept is. Um, and then, you know, then it, uh, it, you start hearing middle Western in the late 19th century, um, <clears throat> meaning more or less what it means now, but it, it immediately gets hooked up to this idea of, of nostalgia. Uh, the idea of like the prairie home that you leave behind on your way to like New York city to go become like an actual person. Jesus, Kyle, I always thought your homeless bum look was an affectation. What are you talking about, Jess? Well, you're pushing a full shopping cart of trash down the middle of Morgan Street in a snowstorm. Hold on a second. There's got to be some place you can go. Do libraries still exist? This is no shopping cart. This is my chariot. And with a little help, it'll carry me to race victory. I hope I don't understand what you meant by that. You haven't heard of the Bridgeport? I did a Nimrod thingy. It's huge. The Iditarod? Oh, there is no way that you or that shopping cart are making it to a dog race in Alaska. Yeah, we got one right here in Bridgeport. Been running it every winter since the 30s. I am finding this difficult to believe. Oh, you find it difficult to believe. Well, now, let me tell you something. I gotta go hide stuff for half price at Unique on Monday right now, so I don't have time for your crazy today. Hold on a sec. There's a lot of history and probably some safety concerns, but the main point is the first prize is 500 simoleons. Wow, I cannot wait to support this proud local tradition. Where do we start? First, we gotta find some dogs. Once we got those, we can enter the race. Piece of cake. I gotta ask you, what the truck is this? Oh, it's the new dog yoga session over at the boathouse. Wait a sec. Dog yogurt? Yoga. It's a culturally appropriated stretching thing that rich white people do. Ah, I see. Yes. 
Uh, you do not. The glass is all covered in steam. So this is dog exercise? Why don't they just give them a rope and let them uh, run around? I'm not going to bust the boathouse on their scam. There's tons of new transplants from the north side who love stretchy pants and taking Instagram stories of their dogs. They got to be printing money up in here. Uh, yeah, that's, it uh, that's also pretty, makes it uh, super easy for us to know. grab a bunch of dogs. I see some huskies over there. That's a snow-type dog. You grab the big white ones. I'll grab these two little tan guys. No corgis, Kyle. They can't pull Jack. Just go ahead and get this. Hurry up, Jess. I think we got made. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Two minutes, sir. Jess, come on. Quick, into the shopping cart. Come on. Much. Hardly a Cadillac here, Kyle. Yeah, I couldn't get one of them nice jewels cart with the locks on them. Whoa. Halstead, Jess. We're going to Halstead. That's where the start of the race is at. Left, left. You have to pull left. Oh, snap. I see the yogurt people with their pitchforks. Mush, mush. Uh, what does that even mean, Jess? It means oh. hold on to the dang dogs. Good morning, race fans, and welcome to the 76th Bridgeport at dinner on stretching from Shermack all the way to back of the yards. It's a beautiful day for a dog race. And we're almost set to start this. Wait, what's this? What's this? I see a late entrance. I think in what appears to be a shopping cart being chased by a mob in Lululemon. Well, it takes all types. And they're off. Hey, you take that back, you jag. I'm only bum adjacent. Yes, we won. We won 500 simoleons. We did. We won. Yeah, that's my dog. Someone arrest those guys. They stole my Fifi. I'm just going to go ahead and take this check. Yoink. Kyle, scatter, scatter, serpentine. Hold on, wait. Uh, okay, bye. Uh, oh, I've had enough. The dogs, the race. I don't even have any money for bubbles. I guess I'm going to go back to the co-pro basement and eat whatever the guys threw down the drain. Da, 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 dee, dee. Uh, let's see it's on the radio. And welcome back to news from the service interest today. Uh, we're going to talk to the 638th declared candidate in the race to become Chicago's next mayor. Harry Wobbles? Is that even a real name? It's Harry with an I. Uh, that's it. I know what I can do to make some coin. Kyle Seismankowski is going to be a new man. I'm going to run for the mayor of Chicago. To be continued. This week on the Trump Diaries, Trump releases an unhinged video from the White House. Trump's lawyers tell Georgians to boycott the special election. Trump has raised close to $170 million since the election. Georgia Republicans push back at Trump's lies. And Trump plans to run again in 2024. It ain't over, kids. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1407, November 26th. Trump suddenly pardoned Michael Flynn, his former national security advisor who pled guilty to lying to the FBI about contacts with a Russian official. Flynn was facing a lengthy jail sentence. Trump announced the news on Twitter and wished Flynn a truly fantastic Thanksgiving. 
The pardon was issued before a judge could rule on a controversial Justice Department motion to dismiss Flynn's case and undo his guilty plea to lying. The judge in the case rejected that move, calling it disingenuous. Trump is now expected to offer pardons to a number of key aides before he leaves office on the 20th of January. On an unusually somber Thanksgiving in America, job numbers rose for the second week in a row, with 778,000 people filing for unemployment. Another 311,000 people applied for jobless benefits on an emergency federal program for gig workers and the self-employed. Those benefits now expire on December 31st. The U.S. also reported its highest daily coronavirus death toll in more than six months. The USA is now adding more than one million new cases in each of the past two weeks. And the NFL was forced to cancel one of its Thanksgiving Day games due to COVID. The Pittsburgh Steelers-Baltimore Ravens game was called off after 18 Ravens players and their MVP quarterback tested positive. Meanwhile, Trump tweeted about the NFL games, but not about the cancellation. He instead tweeted about the players on the Lions kneeling in protest before the national anthem. He said, no thanks. Day 1408, November 27th. The Army Corps of Engineers denied a permit for the proposed pebble mine in Alaska, killing a long-argued project that probably would have been the largest copper and gold mine in the world, but also threatened large breeding grounds for salmon. That plan had been scuttled under the Obama administration only to find new life under Trump. However, Trump's own son came out against the project, and finding political cover, the Corps finally killed it. The sudden assassination of a key Iranian nuclear scientist threw the Middle East into disarray. The daylight killing of Moshen Fazgaraki, widely thought to be a joint U.S.-Israeli operation, is a major blow to Tehran's clandestine nuclear program. It is another taunting signal that the Mossad is apparently able to operate with impunity inside Iran's capital. The attack was thought to have American domestic overtones as well. President-elect Joe Biden has signaled that he wants to re-enter a nuclear deal with Iran that Trump angrily backed out of. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin transferred $455 billion in unspent CARES Act funding into an account that will require congressional authorization to use. The move leaves Janet Yelling, who is Mnuchin's presumed successor, with just under $80 billion available in the Treasury's Exchange Stabilization Fund. Mnuchin claimed falsely the move was what Congress intended. It instead seems a transparent move to kneecap the next administration. And the city of El Paso, Texas, retained legal counsel this week to collect more than a half million dollars in debt owed by the Trump campaign from a rally that took place almost two years ago. Trump's campaign has collected some $150 million in donations since the election. Day 1409, November 28th. Trump's political operation has raised more than $170 million since Election Day, using a blizzard of false claims about the election results to shatter fundraising records that were set during the campaign itself. The influx of donations is one reason Trump and his allies are inclined to continue a legal onslaught, even as their attempts have repeatedly failed in court. Much of the money raised since the election is going into account for Trump to use personally after he leaves office. Trump's political appointees are now going to extraordinarily lengths to try to prevent Joe Biden from rolling back his policies. Trump's appointees have moved over the past three weeks to fill vacancies on scientific panels, pushed to complete rules that weaken environmental standards, nominated judges, and rushing their confirmation through the Senate, while also trying to eliminate health care regulations that have been in place for years. In a major instance, the Health and Human Services Department moved to suspend thousands of agency regulations if they are not, quote, individually confirmed to be still needed and having appropriate impacts. The agency itself called the plan radical and enacted it deliberately to tie the hands of the next administration. 
The Justice Department also issued a new rule to allow firing squads and electrocution to be used for federal executions. That move comes as the Trump administration rushes to execute five more prisoners before his term ends. The new rule will be published in the Federal Register this week. And the Government Accountability Office reported that the system for providing unemployment benefits produced inaccurate data. The Labor Department's weekly reports published, quote, flawed estimates of the number of individuals receiving benefits each week throughout the pandemic. That meant millions of workers received lower than appropriate payouts during the COVID-19 pandemic. 1,410, November 29th. Hospitalizations for COVID-19 patients in the United States reached an all-time high of 100,000 today. The number of coronavirus infections passed 13 million. Today marked the 27th consecutive day the U.S. reported more than 100,000 new COVID cases. Speaking to Meet the Press, Dr. Anthony Fauci warned that Thanksgiving travel could make the current surge worse. Quote, what we expect, unfortunately, as we go for the next couple of weeks into December, is that we might see a surge superimposed on the surge we are already in. Biden announced that his senior White House communications team will be composed entirely of women, a first, with Jennifer Psaki, a veteran of the Obama administration, as White House press secretary. Biden is also expected to nominate Neera Tandon as the director of the Office of Management and Budget and Cecilia Rouse to be chairwoman of the Council of Economic Advisors. Tandon would be the first woman of color to oversee the agency. Rouse would be the first woman of color to chair the council. Kaylee McEnany cried foul from a personal Twitter account claiming, quote, President real Donald Trump already has an all-female senior White House press team. So does VP, so does FLOTUS, so does Second Lady. The completely discredited media once again reveals their blinding propagandist fake news proclivities. The complaint from McEnany was odd as her team actually includes three men. Biden's is actually all-female. And Carter Page filed a $75 million lawsuit against the FBI, the Justice Department, and James Comey personally, claiming he was the victim of, quote, unlawful spying during the Bureau's Russia investigation. Day 1411, November 30th. Trump said unexpectedly that he'd leave the White House if the Electoral College affirms Biden's win. Trump said it would, quote, be a very hard thing to concede, even if the Electoral College confirms Biden's victory. Quote, if they do, then they've made a mistake. This election was a fraud. Trump then claimed that Biden can only enter the White House as president if he can prove that his ridiculous 80 million votes were not fraudulently or illegally obtained. The Supreme Court heard arguments on Trump's efforts to exclude unauthorized immigrants from the census count, which is used to allocate seats in the House. The court sounded skeptical that Trump could categorically exclude people living in the country illegally from the population count. And Census Bureau officials have said they cannot produce the required data until Trump leaves office anyway in January. Moderna applied for FDA emergency authorization of its coronavirus vaccine after reporting the vaccine was 94.1% effective in a 30,000-person clinical trial. If approved, vaccinations for Americans could begin as early as December 21st. Trump's baseless legal attempts to overturn the November 3rd election were dealt more blows. Arizona certified its election results, awarding the state's 11 electoral votes to Biden. That certification came as alleged lawyer Rudy Giuliani appeared before some Republican lawmakers there to ask them to overturn the election results, citing baseless claims of widespread election fraud. Two recounts in Wisconsin requested by the Trump campaign were completed and confirmed that Biden won the state. Trump's campaign paid $3 million to cover the cost of the recounts, which resulted in Biden gaining an additional 87 votes. 
and a federal appeals court unanimously rejected the Trump campaign's emergency appeal to challenge Pennsylvania's election results, writing the campaign's lawsuit lacked proof and its allegations have no merit. The three-judge panel for the third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals denied the campaign's effort to refile its lawsuit, saying, quote, calling an election unfair does not make it so. Charges require specific allegations and proof. We have neither here. Voters, not lawyers, choose the president. Ballots, not briefs, decide elections. Trump attacked GOP Governor Brian Kemp and his Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Trump called Kemp hapless, urging him to use his, quote, emergency powers to overrule his obstinate Secretary of State. I'm sorry I endorsed him. Kemp's office noted that state law prohibits the governor from interfering in the election, and Republicans are now worried that Trump's repeated attacks on Georgia will depress turnout in the January special election. Day 1412, December 1st. Attorney General William Barr said the Justice Department has not uncovered voting fraud that would have affected the results of the presidential election and affirmed President-elect Joe Biden won. That statement came after Trump implied that the Justice Department and the FBI may have played a role in election fraud. Trump has repeatedly and baselessly said the election was rigged and that he won in a landslide. Trump also made a pointed swipe at Trump saying, quote, there's a growing tendency to use the criminal justice system as sort of a default fix-all. People don't like something they want the Department of Justice to come in and investigate. Moments after Barr's comments were made public, Giuliani emailed a statement on campaign letterhead claiming without evidence that he had found ample proof of national voter fraud sufficient to swing the election of Biden. Quote, with the greatest respect to the attorney general, whose opinion appears to be without any knowledge or investigation of the substantial irregularities and evidence of systemic fraud. Giuliani has yet to produce this evidence. In a related story, Trump filed suit in Wisconsin seeking to disqualify more than 221,000 ballots in the state's two most Democratic counties. Trump did not challenge any ballots in the more conservative Republican counties that he won. Trump then asked the right-leaning Wisconsin Supreme Court to take this case directly rather than have it start in a lower court and asked them to order Governor Tony Evers to withdraw his certification. Similar Trump lawsuits have failed in other battleground states. Giuliani, who is Trump's lawyer, discussed a preemptive pardon before he leaves office. It is unclear what Giuliani's potential criminal exposure is. He is under investigation by federal prosecutors in Manhattan for his business dealings in Ukraine. He was also involved in the scheme that led to Trump's impeachment. Giuliani attacked a report on Twitter and said this was false. Meanwhile, Gabriel Sterling, a high-ranking Georgia elections official, angrily denounced the violent threats and harassment directed at people working on elections issues and blamed Trump. Quote, it has to stop, Mr. President. You have not condemned this language or these actions. This has to stop. We need you to step up, and if you're going to take a position of leadership, show some. What you don't have is the ability to, and you need to step up and say this, stop inspiring people to commit potential acts of violence. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get shot. Someone's going to get killed. Sterling added that he had police protection and that a colleague's wife was, quote, getting sexualized threats through her cell phone. Meanwhile, Joe DiGenova, who is a lawyer for the Trump campaign, said that Christopher Krebs, who was the federal cybersecurity official who was fired shortly after saying the election was fair and secure, should be shot. DiGenova, speaking in Newsmax, quote, anybody who thinks the election went well like that idiot Krebs, the guy is a class A moron. He should be drawn and quartered, taken out at dawn and shot. Krebs said he would take legal action, calling DiGenova's comments, quote, more dangerous language and more dangerous behavior. 
and Scott Atlas resigned as special advisor to Trump after a controversial four months during which he repeatedly attacked science-based public health measures and clashed repeatedly with other methods of the coronavirus task force. Atlas repeatedly downplayed the threat of the virus, which has killed now more than 265,000 Americans. He also reportedly wore out his welcome with White House aides. FCC Chair Ajit Pai said he would step down when Biden is sworn in. Pai led the partisan repeal of the Obama-era net neutrality regulation. It is expected that rule will be reimposed. Day 1413, December 2nd. Trump is being urged to, and apparently has discussed, granting pardons to Don Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Ivanka Trump, and Jared Kushner. While Trump Jr. was under investigation by Robert Mueller, it is unclear what criminal exposure Eric Trump or Ivanka Trump might have. Kushner also seems to be an outlier. To pardon them, Trump likely would have to detail what specific crimes they committed. The Justice Department is also now investigating a potential bribery for pardon scheme involving a large political contribution in exchange for a presidential pardon. Two individuals approached senior White House officials as unregistered lobbyists and secretly lobbied or paid bribes to obtain a pardon for someone convicted of a federal crime. Documents show that a lawyer for a federal conflict had discussions with the White House Counsel's Office about a pardon or commutation. Just pardoned Michael Flynn called for martial law to be imposed in the U.S. Flynn asked Trump to order the military to conduct a, quote, do-over of the presidential election so as to reflect what he claimed was, quote, the true will of the people by temporarily suspending the Constitution and civilian control of these federal elections. Trump threatened to veto an annual defense bill unless Congress repeals a federal law that gives online companies broad legal protections. This so law, known as Section 230, spares sites and services from being held liable for the content posted by their users. Trump had previously threatened to veto the same defense bill over provisions that would rename military bases honoring Confederate commanders. Congress is ignoring Trump on both issues. And a bipartisan group of senators introduced a coronavirus aid proposal worth about $908 billion. Mitch McConnell immediately rejected it. McConnell said he wants to pass a, quote, targeted relief bill because, quote, we just don't have time to waste time. Day 1414, December 3rd. America is now bracing for a further surge in coronavirus cases that will stem from infections acquired over the Thanksgiving break. The head of the CDC said America is facing a devastating winter and predicted that total deaths could reach close to 450,000 unless Americans in general start to wear masks. Dr. Robert Redfield said he believed, quote, this is going to be the most difficult time in the public health history of this nation. He also explicitly warned against people traveling for Hanukkah, Christmas, and Kwanzaa over the winter holiday period. Trump released a 46-minute live-filled videotaped speech that he billed as, quote, the most important of his career. In a rambling and fact-free diatribe, which was taped in front of the White House seal, Trump claimed he was the victim of a rigged election and accused Democrats of a conspiracy to steal the presidency. There are also reports that Trump plans to skip Biden's inauguration and instead announce he will run for the Republican nomination again in 2024. Trump does not plan to invite Biden to the White House or even call him in a break with past protocols. Trump reportedly now wants to fire Attorney General Barr, not just for his public comments undercutting his unfounded claims of election fraud, but also for steps he did not take on a probe of the 2016 investigation into Trump's campaign's ties to Russia. 
Meanwhile, it was revealed that properties owned by the Trump Organization and the Kushner companies profited from pandemic relief programs. Over 25 PPP loans worth more than $3.65 million were given to businesses with address at Trump and Kushner real estate properties, who then paid rent to those owners. 15 properties reported they only kept one job, zero jobs, or did not report a number at all. And Trump lawyers Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood told Georgians not to vote for Republicans David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler in the special election because, quote, it's not worth voting because the Chinese Communist Party has rigged the voting machines. In a screed delivered at a Stop the Steal rally, Wood said, quote, This is Georgia. We ain't dumb. We're not going to go to vote again on January 5th on another machine made by China. You're not going to fool Georgians again. If Kelly Loeffler wants your vote, if David Perdue wants your vote, they've got to earn it. They've got to demand publicly, repeatedly, and consistently Brian Kemp call a special session of the Georgia State Legislature. And if they do not do it, don't vote for them. Former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen was asked about whether or not Trump believed his increasingly unhinged rants. He told New York Magazine, quote, The only one of these scumbags who truly believes this crap is Sidney Powell, but she is legitimately insane. Trump's favorability has dropped to 42%. 62% of registered voters say Trump has behaved poorly in the weeks following the election. These are the Trump Diaries. We represent a special session in Studio A from local rockers Thompson Springs. This selection was recorded and mastered by Ari Shellist. Ah. 
Well, I um, if the listener had uh, tuned in last week, I was off uh, on an adventure to get my uh, uh, license renewed, um, mm-hmm. and I did have access to my microphone and my laptop to a certain degree, so I yes. was able to cobble something together. This uh, this really adds credence to some of the the fan the fan conspiracies that DF actually stands for Dindiana Phones. Uh, that's an interesting theory. I guess I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the surprise no. by speaking to it. Um, so, I'm not going to harp on that a, a, a ton, <clears throat> but I will say this much: uh, after everything, after uh, a week there 
mm, two 24-hour drives, uh, a number of, uh, of uh, drunken nights and antics, antics perhaps, um, some of them fun, some of them rather tragic. Sla- it, a slapstick, sna- slapstick adventure. Well, it turned out ultimately uh, I could just do it online, and I did. Really? Yep. When did you do it online? Uh, well, uh, it's a funny story. I was going in to the um, DMV, mm-hmm. where I'm from, and uh, I had all these documents uh, to prove them. And uh, because of the hurricane, which ended up missing, uh, the thing is the hurricane, everyone knew the hurricane was going to miss, but um, public officials, much like here sure. in Florida, they, they'll take any excuse to just not provide civic <laughs> services. That's a tradition. <laughs> A tradition of inadequacy. And so uh, there was a sign-up that simply said, uh, we're not going to uh, – we're not coming in because of the hurricane. It was a beautiful day, by the way. Um, sunny, wonderful. It's, I mean, um, it's beautiful in the eye of the storm. We're out for the hurricane. Uh, here's a website where you can do this. And um, I did. And now I'm back. Uh, awesome. But, uh, yeah. I mean, you got some of that nice Florida internet. The Lumpin' Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.